So we just say, we say thank you, Lord, for speaking, and we know that you're going to keep on speaking. We welcome you and your presence as you've already been with us all morning. And we welcome you to keep being heard now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's just, um, where's Steve gone? He's there. Let's just say thank you to Steve because he's never, um, yay, well done. It's his first time leading worship like that here. And, it, you know, you're all lovely, but actually when you stood here doing it, stood up here by your sen, sorry, by yourself, stop being Yorkshire, by yourself, um, it, it's quite a different feeling from being stood there. You feel much more responsible for the room and what's going on. You know, we're a church that loves to equip and give people, not a go, but a chance to develop their skills. And that's what Steve was doing this morning. So he was brave. And um, well done. Thank you for, for all that you did with us, Steve. It's really great. Um, as has already been said, if you're new here this morning, you are incredibly welcome. We've got quite a few people away this morning with one through another. So it's nice to have the numbers replaced slightly by some new people being with us. Um, we, we are really, really relaxed. So if you want a drink, just go and get one now. We don't, you know, people will get up and wander around. There's croissants. There's, I think there's still some fruit tea cakes left. Is there? Or did you eat them all again? Like, often happens they all seem to vanish but there's stuff in there if you want something to snack on go get some snack on and i'm really not bothered I, I would actually rather you got up and moved around and were able to therefore focus than sit there for 40 minutes and miss the last 15 because you're like oh man he's still going on and i'm sat here and might not be that long anyway might be longer who knows i'll do what i want as i usually do um but you are <laughs> you are really welcome to get a drink and if i say something sorry uh no because it stops the thing Stops the thing on there. Uh, oh, no, you're wrong. I'm wrong. I do. Yes, you're right, John. I'm sorry. You're absolutely right. I do want the lights on because then it makes it better for the camera. Um, if I say something and you don't understand it, interrupt me. I'd, I'd rather explain something again and have you get it than have me say something and you be sat there thinking, I don't know what he's going on about. And actually, if I'm doing that to you, then there's probably somebody else in the room who start thinking, I, I don't understand. So with all that to say... Um, Let's do what we normally do. I mean, I know John sort of lowered the, I mean, raised the bar oh. last time with his wonderful quiz. If, if you're, again, if you're new here, we have a bit of a tradition of, of starting. It's a bit of a competition. Can you get some jokes that are nothing to do with what you're going to speak on and get people to laugh? And then, you know, Bill Johnson does it. Bill always starts with some humour. And if Bill does it, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for us, as far as I'm concerned. So... I saw my neighbour stealing my socks off the washing line. I saw my neighbour stealing my socks off the washing line. I was going to go and say something to him, but then I got cold feet. I'm sorry, they really don't get any better. I mean, they really, they really, really don't. This, this, this is good. Okay, one for those of you who are like me into grammar and words. I have a phobia of two-letter words. I do. I am terrified of two-letter words. I get scared just thinking about it. I quite like that. Go on. I quite like that one. I was quite amused by that, but you know. Anyway, cool. My love, if you remember to record, are you recording? Cool. Thank you very much. So, um, when this morning sort of continuing the series we've been working through forever <laughs> so like you know from the start of this year really wasn't it when we started doing the stuff from the the john mark Perma book about the ruthless elimination of hurry looking at 
how we live together in the way that Jesus did. We want, we want our lives individually, we want our life as a church to be the one, to be a life that reflects not only who Jesus was in his character, but what he did, how he lived his life. Jesus said, remember in, in Matthew 10, don't be tired and worn out in the net he translates it this way don't be tired and worn out don't be burdened instead learn to live a life from the unforced rhythms of grace i love how the message puts it learn to live a life from the unforced rhythms of grace you might know it as the you know don't be heavily burdened like come to me and i will give you rest but the the idea is that jesus knows how to live life and his life is worth copying how he does things and if we as a church are committed as we are to being a church that pursues the presence of the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God on earth as it is in heaven, in terms of seeing signs and wonders and healings and miracles, then we need to be a people who did what Jesus did. To do what Jesus did, we need to do what Jesus did. And Jesus lived a life of intimacy and connection with the Father. And he had ways of practicing that, things that he did that we can learn from that unfortunately for many in the church has become either routine and therefore has no power or have been forgotten about entirely. And we're trying to find ways to take those rhythms of life and make them part of who we are, not as a set of rules, but as a way of living life. So we talk about wanting to be apprentices of Jesus, of him being the master and us being the ones who follow, who learn from him. So my dad was a plumber. He was a plumber and electrician. But when he was 14, because he left school at 14, he went to be an apprentice. He apprenticed to a master plumber and a master electrician. That's how he learned his skills, not from a book, but by watching somebody else doing it, copying what they did with their hands. And that's how he learned his skill set. The challenge for us is that's what we're meant to be doing with Jesus, because we need to remember that, you know, Jesus brings heaven to earth, but he does that as a man full of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus does, as Bill says, if Jesus does what he does as God, then I'm impressed, but I can never reproduce it because I'm not God. If Jesus does what he does as a man completely in connection with the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, then I'm given the model as to how I'm meant to live my life. And that's the model we're called to. We've been looking at all these things, haven't we? We've been talking about having silence and solitude. That, that's not prayer. That's not your quiet time. It's simply a time of being quiet before God, holding yourself away from the pressures of the world. And we're told that Jesus would go into the wild places or into the wilderness and have times of solitude. We've been talking about that. And whoever, I don't know who's leading worship next. Who's leading worship in two weeks' time? can't remember. Whoever you are, when we must remember, I want us to do a testimony time where we talk about sharing stories of silence and solitude and of the other thing that Liz spoke on three or four weeks ago now, two weeks ago, four weeks ago, I can't remember, about fasting. And we put that into practice. I know lots of us were, were fasting this week. And of course, I spent a number of weeks talking about the power of Sabbath, about having a real day of rest about coming away from technology and pressures and having a time to actually rest and stop and how that's a biblical pattern we see in Genesis. If you want to hear all of that again or you miss some of it, it's on our podcast. You can just look for Celebrate Church Bradford. It's also on YouTube and all the stuff's on there. And we've done a number of weeks on these things. To be the people who bring his kingdom to earth, 
We need to keep on living his way, having him as our model, him as our example, the one that we follow. And there's, there's something else about his life that we need to learn from. And I have to say, I have found this probably one of the hardest sermons to write I've ever had to talk about. Um, I'm feeling like I'm going to be a complete hypocrite in some of what I say, because I'm still miles away in some of this stuff and need to get so much better. So I spent time, you know, obviously reading my Bible and reading through the book and reading through some other books. And it's obviously it's been made much harder because some of you know this and some of you don't. We, we've started a 21 day sugar fast. 21 days without eating anything without added sugar in it. So no chocolate, no um, sweets, no desserts, no ice cream. Last night, a Saturday night without ice cream, what's that about? And I've discovered, actually, I've surprised myself. I've already given it away by what a northern man I am by saying, by me sen, I'm from Leeds. That means by yourself, if you, don't, if you didn't know that. It's a little Leeds expression. And I, I've learned what a northern man I am. Because you know what I've missed more than anything else? Yes. What have I missed more than anything else? Not chocolate, which you know I like. Not ice cream, which you know I love. Any other guesses? No, don't have sugar in my tea. I haven't done for years. Sorry? Pie? No, well, no, no, we haven't had pie, but that's not been an issue. Anybody else? What do you think I might have missed? Ketchup. I have missed ketchup like crazy, because ketchup has sugar in it. If you bought a bottle of Heinz, I went and bought, Heinz uh, uh, now do this sugar-free ketchup. I was all excited. But, oh, great, I can get sugar-free ketchup. I can have some ketchup. Because we had something for tea with chips or something, didn't we? And I was like, what is the point of chips without ketchup? What is, I mean, this is the waste of time. It's like bland potato. I don't want chips without ketchup. So I went and bought this bottle of sugar-free. I was all excited. I had a taste of it, and it's full of artificial sweeteners. So I couldn't even have that. I was like, oh. Anyway. So the thing I've missed most is ketchup. Who would have thought? Apparently I can miss, I don't miss, I, mean, I do miss Ben and Jerry's, but Heinz is far more important to me, apparently. Anyway, so that one thing that made this week quite difficult. I haven't had sugar. I mean, you, can, you can't tell, can you? But no, no, move on. It's the theme. Because I, I want us to look at the attitude that Jesus has towards stuff. Things, material possessions, clothes, cars, iPads, phones, sofas, TVs, shoes, everything. The world is God's. Everything in it is made by him. Stuff is something that he talks about. And the challenge is, as many of you know, I, I like stuff. I'm a gadget freak. Now, it's really ironic, actually, that in the week that I'm preaching about material possessions, my um, phone finally packed in and I had to order a new one. And it took me three and a half hours to get this new one sorted out because they messed up my credit check and did all sorts of things wrong. And I was like, well, there's a good illustration of the problem of stuff. I just wanted a new phone because my old phone stopped working. Three and a half hours I spent on the phone chasing them to get a new phone. Possessions take time. And time is a really precious resource. So I'm, I'm conscious that I'm, I literally am preaching to myself. You know, 
I like to buy, I like to look reasonably decent when I'm preaching, so I go and buy some nice shirts. I mean, you might not think it this morning, but I do. It's all right, yeah, it passes the test, good, yeah, thanks for that, yeah, you're never quite certain. And a lot of times when, I, when I've heard other people speak on, on possessions, they either go one of two ways. They either go, you know, you should be living in a cardboard box with nothing and be glad about it, or it's okay for you to drive around in a Bentley in a world that's burning because of environmental damage and a world full of people who are lucky if they get one meal a day. And that seems to be the two extremes that people fall between. So you're either meant to be sort of miserable and have nothing, or it's all right to have everything. A good friend of ours, Steve De Silva, says this, and it's a line that I often quote and, and really like to remember. He says that the devil doesn't care which side of the horse you fall off. He just wants you out of the saddle. He doesn't care which side of the horse you fall off. He just wants you out of the saddle. And it can be like that, can't we? We can fall off on the side of I'm meant to have nothing and be miserable because, I, you know, it, I'm cold, wet, damp and hungry. Or, well, I can pray to God. God's a slot machine. I put my prayer in and out comes a Bentley. Both are wrong. There's a truth that lies and brings these two things to the fact that Jesus doesn't have very much. Although we need to be careful when we say that because he does have some stuff. And he talks more about money than virtually anything else. So what do we do? And what I'm really expecting to do this week is just to start to get some ideas of what does the Bible say about stuff, about things, about possessions. I'm not really intending this week to do much application. So a bit like when we did the Sabbath stuff, you remember we spent like a good two or three weeks establishing what does the Bible say? What does it mean when it talks about a Sabbath? And then we did some more time on, okay, well, how are we going to live like that? And how are we going to reflect what that should be? So really this week, all I want to do is sort of lay a bit of a foundation and get us to look at what are some of the attitudes we can have towards material possessions that are in line with the Bible. And as ever, when I say we're going to do that, I mean we're going to do that because you're going to look in the Bible together. Because I have this fundamental idea that it doesn't need me to read scripture at you. You can read scripture for yourselves. You can discuss it with each other and you can work out what some of it's about. So don't worry. It isn't a comprehension. It doesn't matter if you don't join in. It doesn't matter if you don't know what anybody else is going on about. If you can't read, somebody else in the group will read it with you or for you. That's not a problem. But we will be having roughly two groups, one on this side. You can be team, bring the slide up, hang on, the slide, there's a slide, any moment now there's a slide, haha, you can be the yellow team, okay, over here, I don't know, those might come and join you, I don't know, you lot can be the white team, okay, I've tried to make it coloured so that you don't get confused, says the man who's colour blind and instantly gets coloured confused, okay, so you lot are going to answer these questions, yes, Question one, what does God say about creation seven times in Genesis 1? And then what's the connection between those? And then you lot are going to look at this. What does God say about humanity in Psalm 6, 5 to 8? And then what's the connection between those passages? Yeah, is that all right? Everybody follow? So you've got about five, ten minutes, turn to each other, move the chairs, read the Bible verses, read around them, have a discussion. 
Make certain that you're, if you're speaking all the time, you need to shut up and let somebody else talk. And in a few minutes' time, I'll get you to give a little bit of feedback to each other, and then we'll move on together. If you're not familiar with this idea, if this scares the living daylights out of you, let everybody else talk, and you can just sit quietly. Okay? So five, ten minutes, have a look at those, see what you come up with. Yellow group, white group. Gold, gold group, that's a nice idea. Oh, yes, they're going to be the gold. You, they can be gold, and you can be platinum. Include everybody who's around, leave a gap so other people can join in. Okay, let's um, bring your group discussions to a close from, uh, from, if you can, and then let's get some... Uh, yeah, I want to I start, start with the platinum group. I like how I've made this up rather than white. White and yellow sounds posh, it? Okay, so who's going to tell me um, what does God say about creation seven times Genesis 1? Come on, who's gonna who's gonna tell me that? Oh, oh Paul, it looks like you're being volunteered. Go on then. Yeah, so what God says about creation so many times is that it is good. It is good. It is his goodness yep. that has created everything. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Yeah, the world made by God is good. Absolutely. Okay. And what what You'd have to read all the Bible verses, but tell us sort of what were the, those Bible verses about. And I know John was um, throwing in an extra one from Deuteronomy 8.8, 8, which I nearly put on the list, but chose not to. Not of any reason other than we've got three or four already. So tell us about the flavor of the verses and what, what's the connection between them. Are you doing that as well, Paul, or is somebody else? All right, okay, good. So we're good at this, volunteering each other. When I like that. Come on then, Paul. Tell us, tell us what you came up with. So in Deuteronomy, it says to carefully follow the terms of the covenant so that you may prosper yeah. in everything you do. Yeah. And in all the pieces of scripture that we've read, one word comes out in each and every one of them, and that is prosper. Okay. And yeah. that is God's desire for us to prosper in everything. Yeah. But it's by what we do. And if we do, and it says we may prosper. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's, it's about us mirroring mirroring his image, absolutely, his yep. goodness, yep. that that prosperity will come. Yep. Prosperity is an overflow of relationship with him. Yep. Well, Evelyn, were you about to add something? Oh, okay. I thought you were. John, you tell us, you, you, I heard you say, I'm going to throw a spanner in the work. So, and I always, I always like it when somebody does that. So tell us what you said to them to upset well, them all. Yeah, and the reason I'm, I called it a spanner is because um, everybody was starting to to go to one side of the horse, okay. I felt. Um, so, so you yanked them back by their hair, did you? Indeed. Put them back indeed. in the saddle, good. Um, so the, we were leaning towards prosperity being the, the, the good Christian thing of being nice people and, yeah, and, yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, but in Deuteronomy 8.18, it says yep. that God gives us the power to create wealth. Wealth, absolutely. And, yep. and I wanted to pull us back from being good, nice people to being rich people. Yep. Um, because, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so it, it, it is indeed both. And I think, yep. I think what you're trying to get to, ultimately, <laughs> is um, how we deal with our wealth. Yes. Because we are the wealthiest people in the world. We are, indeed. Um, so when it talks in... In the New Testament, when Paul talks about a word to the to, to the wealthy, he's speaking to us. Yes, absolutely, indeed. But we'll get to that. Maybe in about three in about three sermons' time. Okay. So, any have any of you lot got any questions for them? Anything not clear about what they said 
Oh, come on. You can be a, make it a bit harder for them. That's, you know, all right. Okay. Yeah, no, I know he'll come back and back you. Right then, uh, who's going to tell me who's been volunteered to tell? Oh, hello. <laughs> Welcome, Billy. Welcome to Celebrate Church. This is how we do life. Get picked on. If you don't want to do it, just give it to somebody else. I'm, you know, don't, don't let them bully you. So what, what does God say about humanity in Psalm 8, 5 to 6? <laughs> you have made them a little low. It says you have made them a little lower than the angels yep. and crowned them with glory and honor. Yep. You made them rulers over the work of your hands. Yep. You put everything under their feet. Cool. Yeah. Which is not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> not too shabby. Like, yeah. We are was, amazing. Yeah, that yeah. really is just genuine authority. Yeah. And that is a, the, the way in which he's positioned us is not, yeah, it's not too bad at all. That's what we kind of briefly discussed. Brilliant, wonderful. And what about those other verses? What what were they about and what was sort of the flavour of what they were saying? Come on, somebody else. Billy's a visitor. I'm, I'm, I'm going to insist that somebody who's normally here else speaks. Ah, come on. Cool, come on. This will be good. I think it's about from Luke, Matthew, and Mark, and yeah, last yeah. Matthew. It's about your pursuit. Yeah. Now, if your pursuit is in the material things, yeah. there's every likelihood that your direction will not be in God's. Yeah. But if your direction is in God, yeah. you will get all of those material things. Yeah. Yeah. So strive, stay in God, yeah. get the material things. Yeah. If you strive for the material things, you will lose God. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're all the birthdays. Come on. The famous verse is about it's, it's easier for a rich man to go through the eye of the needle than it is for a, for a rich, easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so two sides of the horse, or falling off the horse, if you like, both important. The world is good. Stuff is good. A good God makes a good creation, and he wants people to prosper. And, and that word includes wealth. It's all right to have stuff. It's not all right for stuff to have you. All right, thank you for completely distracting me and giving away all my future slides. <laughs> That's fine. No, it's fine. James 1.17, which we just saw, says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. God's plan is for people to prosper. That's 1 John, isn't it? I pray that you will prosper even as your soul prospers. And, and prosperity includes stuff. Abraham prospers because he has lots of cattle. He does, doesn't he? It's okay to do well in life. We, we don't believe, I don't believe, that it's wrong for people to be successful in business. Business gives people jobs. Jobs are about value. Work comes before the curse in, in Genesis. We are to steward the resources that were given by God. Work is a godly thing. I've met people and spent time with people who don't have the pattern of work and it destroys their lives. I've seen men that have got no self-esteem and no desire to connect to anybody because they, they, they've got nothing to do. We're, we're not human be doings, we're human beings, but we do need pattern and structure. Work is productive, it's good. And producing income from it is good. Giving people a job is a good, godly thing to do. 
And remember, we are not Greek. So much of the church has been infected by Greek thinking that says material possessions don't matter. So much to the point that we've got to this point, and you've heard me preach on this a lot, but just to give us that reminder, you are not a fleshy container with spirit, and your fleshy container is going to die, and your spirit's going to go floating off to play a harp in clouds. That's not scriptural. You will be resurrected as a bodily being to the recreated order because stuff is good. Yes, it gets corrupted, but God says the world is good and it ne he never takes that blessing away. And if we distract ourselves into thinking, well, material stuff doesn't really matter, so I can do what I want with money because I'll do what I, what I want with my body because I'm really a spiritual being and I'm going to float off. You're getting into what's called Gnosticism, which is the biggest heresy that the church had to deal with in the first 150 years of its life. Where we should have a Jewish approach, a Hebraic approach, which says creation is good. A good God made a good world. When God was bringing his people into a land, what did he say to them? It will be a land flowing with milk and honey. Good stuff. Milk was better than water, especially because the water, you couldn't really always drink it anyway. And honey was one of the two ways you got any sweetness. Sweetness, I remember sugar. Oh, I remember. Thank you, Lord. Anyway, yeah, sorry. Distraction. The picture that the prophets use again and again to describe what God is going to do, he says, each man will live under, anybody know? Some of you have heard me say this lots and lots. Will live under his own, his own vine and his own fig tree. That's the picture. The vine is a picture of wine. Well, wine was what you drank most of the time because the water wasn't safe. And it does mean distilled wine. It doesn't mean grape juice. That's a, anyway, let's not get into that. Wine was used to pay debt. Wine is a seal of the covenant. We know that from when Jesus makes a new covenant. The wine is about provision. If you live under your own vine, you have enough. But a fig tree is about the bounty of God. Because figs were the only other way you got something sweet. Again, sweetness. I love that. No. Honey and figs were the sweet things. So God says, I will bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. And the prophetic picture of what it means to live under God's provision is to live under a vine and a fig tree. Stuff to live by and stuff to have for fun, for sweetness, for enjoyment. Our God is a good father. He wants his children looked after. That's scriptural. That's what we've looked at, isn't it? That's what you guys came together. So we, we can't say that having stuff is bad. And we get to the point if we get to the point where you know I've got to live in a box and, and only live on on, on water and, and bread. I mean, fasting is a good thing to do and living with less is a good thing to do. But if that's all you do, I question whether you're living scripturally. If you pursue possessions as the be all and end all of your life, I question whether you're living biblically which is the other side of what we were looking at, isn't it? We are not to put our trust in what we have. It, it bears down on us, our possessions. Stuff does not make us safe. It doesn't make us happy. It is not the aim of our lives. Why? Because it doesn't work. Psalm 8 says, we are, we are, we are little less than God's. What, what is man that you are mindful of him, it says in Psalm 8. You've made us amazing. We are eternal beings, not eternal spirits, eternal beings. We are made for eternity. 
We are vast beings. We are immortal. If we are immortal and vast and eternal, no amount of stuff will ever fill us up. Because we're eternal. And stuff isn't. It's like pouring water into a leaking vase. It will all leak out. However much stuff we pour into us, we are bigger than it. Because we are not made to be bound by material possessions. It will never satisfy us. Because we are amazing. We're little less than God's, Psalm 8 says. Yes, these bodies will die, but we'll be resurrected into new bodies. We are made for eternity. St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, put it this way. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We are made for him. And actually the only thing that satisfies is him. He is where we find our rest. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the one that we aim for, to be like and to follow. Infinite beings living in a universe where things break down and run out. No amount of temporary stuff will ever satisfy us, which is why we are not to put our trust in it, because it's not trustworthy. I found that out this week with my phone. And stuff requires maintenance, doesn't it? We've, we've got a new car. It's a nice new car. It's an automatic, which makes it much easier for us to drive. But it takes time to insure it. And because of who I am, it might include my name, Stuart, I'm a steward, I like to keep it clean and tidy. Now, I enjoy that. That's part of my habit of praying with God. I actually pray as I polish the car and everything. But I know for other people, it's a burden. The more stuff you've got, the more you've got to maintain. You've got to keep it clean and tidy. You've got to keep it up to date. You've got to vac it, clean it, polish it, refill it, whatever it might be. There's a famous quote, isn't there, about John Paul Getty, the, um, the oil millionaire, who was asked, how much money does it take to make you happy? And he replied, a little bit more. How much money does it take to make you happy? A little bit more. Money doesn't make you happy. I'm reminded, this shows you what a weird sort of brain I've got. How old am I now? I'm 56 now. So 39 years ago, yes, when I was 17, we had this local singer-songwriter. You, you probably know who he is. You've probably heard of him, Deborah. You heard of a guy called Joe King. Do you remember Joe King? Joe King? He used to do Joe King, pray, teach yourself praise guitar with Joe King. He was, he was, his wife was one of my youth group leaders. Anyway, he came into school and he wrote a song in the interval. We did a concert with him. And he wrote this song. And for some reason, the lyric that he made up that day stood in my mind. And it still does. And it said this. It could be fame, Liz. I didn't put it in the notes. I'm sorry. It could be fame or a love affair, drinking champagne till you're up in the air, a castle in Spain like a millionaire, but two into three won't go. I don't know why it's stuck in my mind. I, I could sing you the tune. I'm not going to do I'm not going to be that mean to you. But it's two into three won't go. That's the case, isn't it? We are made for more than this. There's more to happen to us and through us. But you wouldn't think it when you look at the Western world, would you? In the West, atheism hasn't replaced God. Apple has. And Amazon. 
I'm not just having a go at Apple. People here know I often have a go at Apple. Google, H&M, Primark. That's what's replaced Bay. It's not atheism. It's a belief in stuff, that stuff will make us happy. As a society, we say wealth and possessions matter. And, and a further complication is we say things like, money doesn't make you happy. I've got news for you. Yes, it does. It does. I've lived with less. I've lived with virtually nothing. And it's not very nice. Between about being 16 and about 19 at high school, my dad was out of work. We had no money coming into the house. I know the feeling of going to the cupboard and there being no food in it. I was the child who went to school with plastic bags in his shoes because my shoes had holes in them. I was the kid whose clothes didn't fit, who got teased at high school because my blazer was two years too small for me. I know what it's like to live with nothing. It's not nice. And when I hear people saying, you know, the people saying, oh, I can live without anything, I often go to them afterwards and say, have you ever done it? It's, it's not that nice. I've got news for you. A certain amount of money does make you happy. Having food, having clothes, having shelter, having the right stuff to drink, that, that is, it makes you happy, doesn't it? The question is, what happens next? So surely one of the balance points has to come that a certain amount does make you happy. It does keep you safe. But what about all the people who don't live to that level then? We, we can't have more than that if it means other people having less. Now, I, I'm not one of these who thinks the aim is tall puppy syndrome. Let's put everybody down to the same size. No, the aim is to raise people up. A lifting tide lifts all boats. A rising tide, rather, lifts all boats. That's what we've got to go for. So somehow, we need to negotiate our way between these biblical truths. Things aren't bad. They are made by a good God who wants to look after us and wants us to live well in his life. Things can be a complete distraction. They are not what our life is meant to be about. It's a two-sided challenge. And the devil doesn't care which side of the horse you fall off. He just wants you out of the saddle. So how do we find a wise middle way? Well, come back the next time I'm preaching and we're going to start looking at it together because th there's more to do in this. All I've tried to do so far is set out the two extremes and say to you, we are made for God's pleasure. We're made well. And stuff can distract us. We can put our trust in the wrong things, but we can't start thinking that stuff is bad because it isn't. A good God wants us to produce wealth so that we can look after people, so that we can be productive. So between now and then, here's an idea. You start looking in the Bible. You start trying to work out, what am I going to do with this? And we will do some more together for the next time we're back together like this. So I'm sorry this has been a bit more theoretical and not as much application. We'll do that another time. But I want us to go away with the clear biblical pattern. Stuff is good, but so are we. And we are bigger than the stuff. Our satisfaction comes from God. But the God who wants to look after us and provide for us and have us say, 
and actually have us enjoy life in such a way that other people want to copy it. And we'll look some more about how do we walk in the middle. Let's stand together because we've talked quite a bit. I don't know about anybody else. I'm sweating in here now. I'm really warm. I'm like, no, Liz, my darling wife is probably like, oh, it's just comfortable. And I'm like, better go away. Okay, let's just stand. And oh, let's um, let's just put put your head on your what's your hand on your head, and put your other hand on your heart. And, and I want to propose that our head is about knowing who we are in God, knowing that the world is good, and our heart is about pursuing the right things. Knowing that stuff is good, but we are to pursue him and his goodness. So Lord, we pray that this morning you would speak to both our head and our hearts. We want to be a people who acknowledge that you're a good father who's given good stuff. But we also acknowledge that our hearts are restless and we only find our rest in you. Give us minds and spirits that are able to keep on searching your word, keep on being open to your spirit, for you to help equip us to be the people who live the way that Jesus did. Not governed by stuff, but not limited by it either. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.